When somebody has a compass, you can tell if they're from the south or the north. Because if they're from the south, like Mike, they call it a compass. But if you're from the north and you say it like you're supposed to, it's a compass. <laughs> Take your compass and turn with me to Second John. We uh, are almost done this week and next week in our sermon series called Walk in the Light, where we have been looking at John's letters. First John, we spent most of the summer. In First John, we're looking at Second John today, one of the least preached books in the church today. Uh, and then we will look at Third John next Sunday, and then we will have a new series beginning on Vision Sunday. If you don't have a Bible, we have one for you underneath the chair in front of you. And if you're going to use one of our Bibles, it's on page 1306. I'm going to read 2 John in its entirety, and then we will jump in. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you for your continued faithfulness, graciousness, mercy to us in Christ. The peace that we have being reconciled to you through faith in Christ. The Christ offered to us in your word, your infallible word. 
As we look at this book from your servant, the Apostle John, we do pray that, Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to the truth and our hearts to be receptive to what we see. Help us to see the glory of Christ in these verses and what we might do to apply these things to our lives for your glory and for our good. And so we lift this time to you as we worship you through hearing the word preached. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I read about a woman in Colorado near Aspen. And a story was written about her and her son in the Aspen Times. She was inside and she heard this blood-curdling scream coming from her five-year-old son who was outside. So, of course, she runs out into the backyard to see what was the matter. And she sees a mountain lion on top of her five-year-old son. And his head was in the mountain lion's mouth. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened. What would you imagine happened in that moment? This mom, she goes into action, right? She gets all mama bear. She, she runs out there to save her boy. And what the paper said was that she, quote, was able to pry the cat's jaws open and her son got away. It said that uh, the mother literally reached into the animal's mouth and freed her son's head from its jaws, end quote. Amazing, right? And the, the best part about that story is that both the mother and the son were really just treated for minor wounds at the hospital and then both were okay, thanks to her heroic actions. But, I mean... Love leads us to do things we would not even maybe realize we can do it. Love leads us to do whatever it takes, right? To protect someone that we care about deeply. Second John is a picture of the love of Christ and even also the love of John for this congregation to whom he's writing this letter and you almost see John uh, uh, pulling back the jaws, so to speak, of the mountain lion, the threat that was um, potentially bringing great ruin and damage to this congregation. This congregation understood the importance of loving one another, and they were so good at it that it looks like they were potentially avoiding protecting the truth in order to be loving. And so he writes this letter to them. And it's very interesting. And one of the things I want us to draw away, one of the things I think we, we, can, we can see practical for us right now, is the importance of protecting the truth and the way that that actually preserves the love within a congregation. Okay? Okay. And uh, Lord willing, this will make sense as we move through what John says. But protecting the truth about Christ 
is essential to the preservation of the love within a congregation. And by corollary, when the truth goes, so does the love. Okay? And we're going to talk about this by only looking at two things today. Two things. We'll talk about loving one another because he lays this very clear foundation of the importance of loving one another. And then he talks about protecting the truth. So uh, that's what we're talking about today. If you're a guest with us or new with us, keep your Bible open. We're going to walk right through these verses. Uh, we want to see what God is saying and then apply that to our lives. So, so let's talk about loving one another. Uh, loving one another. Look at verses 1 through 6. And what we want to recognize here is that loving fellow believers, loving one another, which is, is an essential part of Christianity, it flows from believing the truth about Christ. Let me say that again. Loving fellow believers which is an essential aspect of Christianity, it flows from believing the truth, having the truth in common with one another. So you see how John affirms the importance of loving one another and and roots really everything in receiving, believing, hanging on to the the truth about Christ. So take a look at verse 1. He says, The elder to the elect lady and her children. Now, that's his way of, he's referring to himself as, as an elder, a spiritual authority. And when he says to the elect lady and her children, he's really, he's addressing a church. He's saying to a church and its members. So he's actually not writing to one person. You see that at the end when he talks about the greeting from the elect sister. This is from John to a particular church, a local church. So what does he say? He says to this church whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth love you. Why? Verse 2, because of the truth that abides, that remains in us and will be in us forever. Do you see it? So he's got this inseparable connection between loving one another, flowing out of having the truth within us, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Christ is, what he's done, as well as the love of the Father, the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the truth in us is what drives that love that we have for one another. The truth of the gospel, which happens to be in verse 3. Okay, verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. Think of that. Grace, mercy, and peace. Peace is what we have with God through faith in Christ. Mercy is what we needed, right? We needed forgiveness of our sins. Grace, God's gracious provision of his son so that we could be reconciled. Receive mercy and have peace. And so he's saying these things, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. You see it? That's how we have those things through believing the truth and then experiencing the love that that truth enables us to exhibit to one another. Okay, again, truth and love. And then he's, he's got some good news. Verse 4, he's apparently spent some time with some of the people from this church. And he's super excited. Okay? Look at verse 4. I rejoiced greatly. Okay, he's not just jazzed. I mean, he is like super excited. Why? I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truths. In the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. So however he interacted with this group of people, he was able to see the, the truth of the gospel doing what it does within a group of people. And the way they served one another, the way they cared for one another, the way they respected one another, put others' needs above their own. 
he was with them and he was able to experience the love of Christ through the way they were loving one another. And it just proved to him, those, these, this people, this church knows Jesus. Okay. And now it's given him this great joy. And so he writes to the whole church, not just this sum that he interacted with in some way or in some place. But now he's writing to the whole church to remind them the importance of loving one another. Verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady or dear congregation, Dear, dear church, as, as uh, he says, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning that we love one another. Now, he is referring back to Jesus' commandment that he gave to the apostles and to us through them uh, on the night of the Last Supper, John thirteen thirty four, when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now, to love fellow believers... Not a new concept. What's new about this is the way that Jesus says it. He says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. In other words, he, he was explaining to them that how he treated people, that's the picture of how you love someone. Okay? And so we might ask ourselves, well, how did he treat people? How did he love the apostles, how did he love us? And our minds may go and should go right to the cross, right? The, that's the, the big picture of, of, of Christ's love for us is that he would lay down his life for us to pay for our sins, to give us his righteousness, all received by grace through faith, not anything that we do, right? That is how he loved us. But where did the righteousness come from? See, you have to understand the other part of how Jesus loved us is not just by dying to take away our sins, but by living this perfect life and building up all this righteousness and then giving that to you and I through faith. And so we stand before God righteous in his sight because of the righteousness that Christ earned in his life and gave to us, it was imputed to us through faith. And so when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. It tells us that the way you love someone is by obeying God's commandments. We always know exactly how to love someone because God has shown us how to love people. And that's what John says. Look at verse 6. And this is love. That we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. In other words, the commandment to love one another is lived out through obeying the commandments. Walking in the truth. That we love one another by obeying God. Okay. And, and what, he's, what he's talking about then, if, if, you, if you see this, what he's doing is, is helping us have this firm foundation that loving one another is central to what it means to be a Christian. He's going to say some things in a little bit that are a little challenging. So he's, he's laying this foundation that we know loving one another is essential and we know that we love one another by obeying God's commands, by uh, treating people the way God has instructed us to treat others in the law and that our ability to love one another, as we saw in the beginning of the passage, flows out of this truth that we have within us. So through believing the truth, we're not only saved, but that's how we're transformed as well. That's how we're enabled, empowered, the truth with the power of the Holy Spirit together, is how we're able to really love one another. Okay, And it's essential that we know that, and it's important that loving one another, loving our fellow brothers and sisters, is a key calling for the Christian. 
We're called to that. And, and what's beautiful about it is when we love one another, we actually give repeated pictures of the gospel to the world. Listen to this. Beautiful picture I heard recently. Um, a friend of mine, um, I haven't known him very long, but he was sharing some of his story with me. And he's a, uh, a grown-up. Uh, he's uh, got a wife and kids. and But he was sharing with me about his childhood. And his childhood was very rough. And he was not treated well by his parents. And um, he ended up on his own and living with different friends or different families, whoever would take him in. By the time he was 16, he had lived a number of places other than his home. He had had some trouble with the law. And he was even had a reputation in the town of being a pretty wild, rebellious kid. And... In God's providence, he met, and I don't know exactly how they developed a friendship or relationship, but the son of a local pastor, who was the pastor of a local church, befriended this young rebellious kid and shared the gospel with him and actually led him to Christ. And so this rebellious kid becomes a Christian. And I mean, he really changed. And so the son of the pastor goes home and says to his dad, who knew of this kid, dad, that guy that you know, he's become a Christian. It's amazing. And I think he should live with us. And this pastor and his wife were like, oh, now to their credit, it's amazing. Here's what they did. They said, well, at the very least, He can come stay with us for a few days and we'll figure things out. And in just those days, they saw such a transformation in that young man that they not only said, you can stay here as long as you want, but they then adopted him. And he is their son. They are his parents. What a sweet picture. Because when, when we really have repented of our sin, when we really have believed the gospel, it changes us, but that's not what what God looks for. God doesn't look for the change. God looks to see whether we've really trusted him. And if we have, then we know that we've been forgiven, we've been declared righteous, and we've been adopted as his child. And so that expression, those ways in which we love one another, who knows what their inspiration was? Maybe it was Romans twelve thirteen. Contribute to the needs of the believers and seek to show hospitality. Maybe it was Galatians six ten. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Who knows? But something set them free to go ahead and welcome this kid in and adopt them as their own. And it's a picture of the gospel. That's what happens when we love one another. Okay. And John is wanting to lay this firm foundation so that everybody reading this letter, everybody knowing this, knows for certain that loving one another is an essential part of what it means to be a Christian. And the reason he, I think he hits so hard on this is he's about to talk about acting in some ways that doesn't feel as loving. And this is probably the reason that this book does not get preached very much, by the way. Be- because we, when we, you know, when you know the Lord and you, you want to be 
kind. You want to be loving to everyone. And so what John tells us to do seems counterintuitive. It seems unloving. It's, it's kind of hard to accept unless that we understand that what is happening is sometimes we do need to get tough, not, not sinful, not mean, but tough in order to, to pull the jaws open and free someone if they're getting stuck in something that's a real threat to them. Okay. Sometimes to protect the truth, we need to act in ways that don't feel as loving and as kind. And that's why this sits a little weird. But let's look. Let's let John show us what he's talking about. Let's talk about protecting the truth. Look at seven and following. And here's what we need to recognize. It is not unloving to recognize and reject false teachers. Rather, it's Christ-like and it's an essential part of having a healthy church. Okay? It is not unloving to recognize and reject false teachers. It's Christ-like and it's essential to church health. So let's take a look. And what I think John does here is gives sort of four things for us to believe, for us to understand and practice uh, in order to protect the truth. And as we protect the truth, that's what actually helps us preserve the love that we are able to experience between one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? We protect the truth. That helps us preserve the love that we are meant to experience in a church. And so, number one, phonies exist. I know that's not a word we use a lot, but it starts with P and so did the rest, so we're going to go with it. <laughs> but you know what a phony is. A phony is a fake. Okay, It's a f- someone who's false. And... What John says in verse 7 shows us we have to recognize then and now and always, at least until Christ comes back, okay? Before Christ comes back, there will always be these phonies. Look at verse 7. For, and that's a big word. It's only three letters in English, but it's a big word, meaning, here's now he's telling you why he just said everything else. Here's why I said everything about that love. For, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So he wants them to know that there are people who are claiming to be Christians. But they are deceivers. And in this particular case, they are saying that Jesus was only God. The Bible clearly says Jesus is fully God and fully man. But there was a group of False teachers going around saying that Jesus was not fully man. And so that is in particular what he's dealing with, but it really applies to false teaching, things that pervert or depart from the scriptures. Okay, And he says that they are deceivers, they are the antichrist. What we can take away from that ultimately is they are against Christ. There are people saying that they're teaching the Bible or they're preaching the truth, but they're actually against Christ. Now, this is John telling you this. This is God telling you this through his servant, John. This is what it's what he's saying. And it's so important that we understand that, that we're we're able to have the conviction that there really are false teachers. That needs to be a deep conviction. Because when it is, what do you do? If you know that there are people who are false teachers and will actually lead you to believe things that will take you away from the truth, kill the love, 
Well, then you'll practice discernment. Look at verse 2. He says, watch yourselves. Okay, that's active. Watch yourselves. So that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Now, he's not talking about losing your salvation. We don't work for our salvation, right? That's the whole message of the Bible. We receive it by grace through faith in Christ. So what have they been working for? Having this loving community. Living, walking in the truth. And experiencing the love between brothers and sisters in Christ as we're meant to. The way we're meant to care for one another. We're meant to, meant to serve one another. Meant to love one another. And he's saying, watch yourself. Practice discernment when people try to teach you stuff. Because you don't want to lose that love. You don't want false teaching to get into a church and create division and create animosity and create frustration and kill the love. You see that? And so practicing discernment. And ultimately that's comparing what is somebody teaching and what does the Bible say? Is the clear reading of the Bible, is that is that what we're seeing here or not? And if not, then you're using your powers of discernment to know that you want to reject that. If they're not teaching something that's square with the scriptures, then you don't want to accept it. We practice discernment. And I, you know, one of the good things about the way God has designed the church is you, if you're a new believer or if you just don't have a real deep understanding of theology yet and you don't know what's safe and what's not, you have life group leaders, you have elders, deacons, you have pastors who are here that you can ask and just say, look, this person is wanting to talk to me and They've said these things. I just don't know what to do here. We can help you determine if it's something good or if it's a mountain lion. Okay, practicing discernment. Um, three. Perseverance is what we want, not progressiveness. You want teachers and leaders who are going to say, persevere in the scriptures. Stick with what they say. Do not go beyond Okay, again, not my words. Look at John's. Look at uh, verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, and abide is a sweet word for remain, right? Okay. Everyone who does not, or I'm sorry, everyone who goes on ahead and does not remain in the teaching of Christ does not have God. That's a hard line to read. It's hard to believe. But this is God's word. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. Now, again, specifically, he's referring to Christology, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. But by way of application, we also know that any teaching that rejects the scripture or tries to reinterpret the scripture in some way that is not square with scripture uh, is what we want to avoid. So, Preachers and teachers and authors who uh, have moved beyond the clear teaching of Scripture, perhaps they've said that, you know, what the Bible says is old-fashioned. We've got to get with the times, right? And interestingly, churches or leaders where the Christianity is beginning to look a lot more like what the culture says is good and right. We want to be very, 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 very careful about that. You know, a prime example being the way that there are leaders in churches and even denominations moving beyond the clear teaching of what God says regarding holiness and sexuality and marriage. We do not want to move beyond Jesus. We want to remain in Jesus. We want to remain in the scriptures. And what's interesting is like all through the scriptures, 
there is that call, right? Not to move on, but to hold fast. You know how many times you see that? Romans 12, 19. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. Test everything and hold fast to what is good. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Perseverance is what we want, not progressiveness. Finally, purposeful in being purposefully inhospitable. And this is one of the ones that I'm like, this is hard. Because knowing the Lord, everything in me wants to be welcoming and kind to everyone. But John is saying there's a time to be purposefully inhospitable. Take a look. Verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, and he's specifically again talking about good, healthy Christology, the teaching about Christ, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now again, this teaching talking about Christ, but you apply it, I think, to also all good, solid, orthodox, biblical teaching. Okay? And when he says, do not receive, he's saying, don't let them into your house. See, the, these false teachers were depending on the hospitality of the Christians. Because they knew that if you need a place to stay, we'll just find a Christian. Because they're all about hospitality. They'll let you right in. And so they would come saying, hey, brother, I'm a Christian too. Can I stay with you? And these Christians who weren't aware of what they were doing by saying yes, were saying, yeah, come on in. Sleep in my bed. The guy's wife was like, honey, we don't have to be that. (laughs) Anyone who comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive. So he's saying, don't bring them into your house. He even says, listen to this, look at it. He says, don't even greet them. Now, when you and I greet somebody, we say, hey, what's up? Or how are you, right? He's not talking about that. The way they used to greet people in the first century, especially Christians, they would say things like Paul says in Romans 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, don't even greet them. In other words, don't give them any indication that you think they know the Lord. It would be a great disservice to them, the false teacher, who's not a Christian, for you to give them the idea that you think, oh, we're, we, we worship the same God. Because we want them to know that they don't know the Lord so that they would repent and they would believe and be saved. And I think, you know, kind of the easy application or the, 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 the application of our mind probably goes to is, um, as far as welcoming people in, you know, there are people who go door to door. Right? And you've been visited by these people. And really what I think this tells us is if the Mormons come knocking. Okay? White shirts, name tag, black pants, bike. I know, listen, I know when you answer the door and you're like, yes, I can love these guys and show them what Christ is really like. But John is saying, don't even greet them. Now, somebody asked me the first, after the first service, they're like, what if you want to let them in so you can try to like, evangelize them? 
If you feel very equipped, if you have studied the flaws in Mormonism, then go ahead. I think that's probably okay. But if you don't feel really good about dismantling their view and helping them see they are not Christians, they do not believe in Christ, they are anti-Christ. If you don't feel competent in that, then just close the door. I know it doesn't feel loving, but John is telling you it's not unloving. It's good for the protection of the truth. Same with Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness is also not Christians. Okay? In fact, their flaw in theology is actually not all that dissimilar from what John is talking right here. Another way I think you apply this is that we, we need to make sure we know what ministries and missionaries we're supporting financially. Right? We don't want to take part in their wicked work, he says. And so... It's good practice for you. If you're supporting missionaries, you should see a statement of faith. And they come to you and say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm going overseas to this country and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And you're like, can I see your doctrinal statements, please? You kind of feel rude, right? Like you kind of want to be like, great, signing checks. No, this is for real. We need to practice discernment. We need to make sure we're not supporting someone who's not teaching the truth. Okay. So it's not wrong for you to know what you are supporting. Um, and, and then we also, you know, in all of this, we want to do these things, right? We want to know that phonies exist. We want to practice discernment. We want to persevere. We don't want, we don't want to be about progressing beyond what the Bible teaches. Uh, and we want, we want to, when we have to, be purposefully inhospitable. Also, you know, we, we need to know that there are good resources because we're not talking about minor doctrinal issues. We're not talking about avoiding people who have a different view of baptism or a different view of how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're not talking about minor doctrinal issues. We're talking about major doctrinal issues that you depart from and you are not a Christian. And so it's good and right for us to recognize there's lots of Healthy, true denominations, lots of healthy, true churches. And there's lots of great resources, and I've shown some of these before, but the Gospel Coalition is just filled with sermons and videos and articles, and basically anything you watch on there will not be completely monolithic in its theology, but it's all safe, it's all good, it's all from the Bible. Uh, Ligonier.org, just hours and hours. I don't think you could watch every Ligonier video in your life if you tried. But if you try and succeed, you tell me. Because you will know a lot more than I do at this point. But Third Mill. You can get a whole seminary education through thirdmill.org for free. Um, Books. A lot of times people come to me and they say, you know, my friend goes to this different church and wants me to read this book. Do you know anything about it? And if I know, then I'll tell them, yeah, that's safe. Or no, I wouldn't wouldn't read that. Um, But if I don't know, then I go to challies.com. Do you guys know Tim Challies? Tim Challies is a pastor. I think he's up in Canada. And for some, I don't know how he does it, but he reads every book that's written on Christianity. And he's reviewed most of them. So somebody says, hey, read this book. Go to Tim Challey's website, challies.com, and just see what he says. He might say, yeah, that's good. Get it in your heart. He might say, that's bad. Throw it in the trash. Now, he's not the authority. You can come talk to me, too. You can come talk. I'm not the authority, either. The Bible's the authority. (laughs) Here's what somebody who loves you would do in that moment. They would say, well, let's see what it says and let's see what it says. Right? I'm not your authority. The word of God tells us what our authority, the one true God, has said is true. Okay? Now look at John's love. This is all about love. You got it? You got, you know, 12, verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face. 
Why? So that my joy, so that our joy may be complete. It's experiencing that love of face-to-face brotherly love between brothers and sisters in Christ, the way we serve one another. That's what he wants to protect. The children of your elect sister greet you, which is another way of saying the members of the church I'm at say hi to you guys. So, probably for the first time, I have preached that there's times where we need to not be as nice. And I would not do that. It goes against kind of what I feel. But the compass, compass, the authoritative word of God tells us that there are times where we do these things. And we do it to protect the truth And by protecting the truth, we actually play a part in preserving the love in our congregation. When you love someone and there's a threat, you do what you have to do. That's what Mary Thomas did. Mary Thomas was a single mom, nine kids, living in the west side of Chicago, one of Chicago's roughest areas. Seven of Mary's nine kids were boys. And one day back in 1966, Mary opened her front door to find 25 street thugs standing on her doorstep. They were members of a very notorious gang, and they had come to recruit her seven sons. And so hearing of their intentions, Mary kind of drops her gaze and says, oh, Okay, hold hold on just a second. And she shuts the door. And then when the door opened again, the first thing the gang saw was the barrel of a loaded shotgun. And Mary Thomas said, there's only one gang around here. It's the Thomas gang. And those guys ran away like the roadrunner in the cartoon. And then with that same fortitude, Mary Thomas Loved her children, all nine, graduated from high school. In fact, you might even have heard of her youngest son, if you like basketball. Her youngest son was named Isaiah. Isaiah Thomas. And I know it feels weird to not be nice, but there are times when for the sake of the gospel we stand firm, we obey the word, Because there's only one gang around here. And that is the gang of those who know the truth and have the love to prove it. Let's pray. Father, would you help our hearts receive these things? Would you help our hearts submit to these things uh, because we want to hold fast because he who has promised is faithful. And so be with us as we continue to worship you this morning and as we go from here. Help us to continue to know Christ, grow in faith, and to go and make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.